0: Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's 1 p.m. Dharma Talk is entitled, Making Friends with Your Meditation, Part 2, by Lama Kathy Wesley. Once we've established a regular habit of practicing sitting meditation, we are motivated to begin engaging with our obstacles and obscurations in practice. How do we work with sleepiness and the monkey mind of agitation? Sharing teachings from Kimpo Karthar Lama Kathy shows how to tame obstacles and gain confidence in our meditation practice. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karmateksum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast.
1: This is uh, Lama Kathy saying hi, and uh, appreciate all of my friends joining me today, uh, both my Facebook Live audience up here and my YouTube audience here. Um, I'm still um, doing the uh, the home broadcasting thing from my house, and uh, have uh, had a good uh, a good opportunity to learn more about broadcasting both on YouTube and on Facebook, and uh, squandered it. I have not. <laughs> I have not really learned that much about uh, about uh, all of these different platforms, but it sure is good to be able to join you in whatever format we can and uh, have some time together to talk about meditation. So thanks for joining. Uh, today, um, I'm going to be uh, continuing uh, the topic from last time, which was making friends with your meditation. Uh, the, the, uh, the topic has to do with... Uh, how meditation works with our spiritual practice and how we can become um, more acquainted with our methods of meditation and how in a way by getting acquainted with our methods of meditation how we can become better friends to ourselves through the practice of meditation. So um, I'm basing my teachings on two books by Campbell Carter Rinpoche First one being um, Excellent at the Beginning, his, his, uh, his book about um, a basic Dharma and basic Buddhist practice. And, uh, and then the other book that I'm using is this book. This is an older edition, but uh, you can still get this book. It's called Dharma Paths. P-A-T-H-S, Dharma Paths. And so these two um, books are what I'm basing my uh, presentation on as well as some oral teachings that Kempo Kartra gave over the years. So I hope you're doing okay in the midst of the um, coronavirus quarantine. And I hope that your family is well and that you're also well and staying as healthy physically and in all ways as you can. So I'll start with a short prayer And then we'll get right into it. Um, I'm going to be reciting the four-line refuge prayer. Uh, If you're familiar with it, you can join in. And if you're unfamiliar with it, you can join it in your heart and in your mind, thinking that we're going to spend this next little bit of time together uh, to learn about Dharma and to learn about meditation and to improve our Dharma and meditation. So we'll start with the prayer. I will recite the um, the prayer prayer. um three times in Tibetan and uh, then I'll say another short prayer after that and
2: we'll get started. <laughs> Drolah penchir sanje druparsho Sanje chudan so chi chonahmla Chu pardu dhani kyapsuche Da Daji jin so ji pe ki Drolah penchir sanje druparsho Sanje chudan so chi chonahumla, Jangchu pardu doni kyap suche, Daji pe sunahum ki, penchu Sanje druparsho. Now, the meaning of these words in English goes something like this.
1: In the Buddha, his teaching, and the community most excellent, I take refuge until enlightenment is reached. Through the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I attain Buddhahood for the sake of all that lives. And now I'll recite one more short prayer.
2: Okay, thank you, and
1: uh, thanks once again for being here. Last week, we talked about uh, the uh, the basic teachings of spiritual life as they were taught by the historical Buddha, Shakyamuni. In uh, his teachings, he talked a lot about um, how to become uh, free from suffering and the causes of suffering, and uh, and in his teachings he taught uh, four, uh, three basic methods that that were summarized by his uh, four noble truths and four statements. Four noble truths are that suffering's a part of life, suffering has a cause, suffering has a solution, and there's a path that leads to the end of suffering. And, um, and the, uh, the truth of suffering is that even though we try to run and hide from suffering, we still have it in our life. And it's better for us if we take time to understand our suffering and know our suffering so that we can begin to engage it in a constructive way and not always spend our lives running. The cause of suffering, he said, was clinging and fixation. And the thing that we cling to are things that we cling to often cause us great suffering. We hold on to people, ideas, situations, and by clinging to these so tightly, we suffer. And so um, the Buddha's teaching was that because suffering has a cause, it has a solution. And the solution is to practice the Eightfold Noble Path, which can be summarized by the four statements made by the Buddha. Do no harm, practice virtue, and tame your mind. This is the teaching of the Buddha. Now, since that last one is just a summary, then we are left with three. Do no harm, which means don't harm yourself, don't harm others. Practice virtue, which means to take care of yourself and benefit others. And the last is to tame your mind. Because if our minds are wild and untamed, it's very, very difficult for us to know harmful action from non-harmful action, and how to know beneficial action from unbeneficial action. And so if we can practice taming the mind, we will have a basis for being able to make changes in our life in a very deep way. So anyway, so that's, um, that's a little bit of background as to why we're talking about meditation, because meditation is under that third topic of taming your mind. And when we started last week talking about taming the mind, we talked about the uh, opening words from the Buddha's teachings, the Dhammapada, where he said, we are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts and with our thoughts, we make the world. And so since our mind then is the seat of our experience and our mind is how we in, interpret the world and how we experience the world. And in a way, you could say our mind is all we will ever have. Our mind, mind's experience is all we'll ever have. And so for that reason, it's really critically important that we begin to work with taming our minds. And so the practice of meditation is just that. Last week, we talked about the Tibetan word gom, G-O-M in English. Gom means uh, becoming familiar or getting acquainted with. And uh, so what you could say about meditation practice is that we're getting to know our minds and we're becoming friends with ourselves and we're making friends with our own mind. And so uh, the practice of meditation could be this gom or getting used to or becoming acquainted with. And last week, we also talked about the techniques of meditation. As you know, there are dozens of kinds of meditation. But in the uh, Tibetan Buddhist tradition, the most generally taught method of meditation is called tranquility meditation. Sometimes it's called shamatha. Uh, Sometimes it's called um, by the um, Tibetan word, shine. Shi in Tibetan and ne. she means peace and ne means abiding. So, calm abiding or peaceful abiding, or shamata or shine, all three of those words mean the same thing calm abiding meditation. And so, in this technique, you place your body in a specific sitting posture. And uh, after you establish yourself on your meditation seat, you um, begin uh, with your, your session of meditation with a, an internal. Motivation, thinking I'm going to be practicing this meditation for the benefit of myself and all others. And after making that mental intention within yourself, then you begin by sitting in the meditation posture, taking one deep breath to center yourself, then uh, letting that breath out. And that after letting that breath out, you allow the breath to come and go naturally, placing your mind's attention on the breath as it comes in and goes out. And what you'll notice when you do this is that you'll start with a short period of attention that will then be followed by a period of mental wandering. And our job as meditators is to notice that period of mental wandering and to gently bring the attention back to the breath for a fresh start. And so uh, that was the technique that we taught last week. And I hope uh, that you were able to do some homework this week and, do, and try to do a little bit of meditation every day. And uh, if you have specific questions about meditation, you can type them in uh, to the uh, Facebook uh, feed. And uh, sorry, I don't have comments enabled on YouTube yet. I haven't figured all that out yet. Uh, but um, but if you have questions, you can email them to me at Lama Kathy, LamaKathy, L-A-M-A-K-A-T-H-Y uh, at ColumbusKTC.org. And uh, if I don't get to them uh, this week, I'll get to them next week. So thanks in advance for any questions that might come up as I'm speaking. So uh, to review, we're going to do a little bit of a review of the posture and technique. And again, this posture and technique is taught by Kempo Rinpoche in his book, uh, excellent at the beginning. A similar technique is taught in his book, uh, Dharma Paths. And finally, uh, he, taught, uh, he taught this method yet another way uh, with the, um, with, in this little pamphlet called Guidelines for Meditation. So these three sources are where I'm drawing my uh, technique in meditation. And um, I'll try to make sure that I put this little guidelines for meditation online so that you can download it. I'll, I'll link it and then you can download it and uh, learn from Kemper Mache personally. So to review the posture, we build the posture from the bottom up. And, um, and how that works is if we're sitting on the floor, we sit with our legs crossed in one of the several postures of how to uh, cross your legs and if you're sitting in a chair you sit with your feet flat on the floor and if your feet don't touch the floor you put a cushion underneath your feet so that they rest on they rest uh, solidly on the floor even if there's a cushion in between at least your your legs will be uh, uh, resting solidly on the floor you place if you're sitting in a chair you place your feet, hip width apart and the, the feet are flat on the floor. And if you can have your, uh, I like using my visual aids here. Let's see if I can do my visual aids. Uh, you have your shoulder and your hip and your ankle at, a nice ang- at those nice 90 degree angles so that you have uh, good posture while you're sitting in a chair. If you're sitting on the floor, you start with a cushion. And then you place your cushion on the floor and the cushion can be four finger widths. That's a traditional, uh, that's a traditional height, but because we're not used to sitting on the floor, we might want to double that or even triple that. And then sitting on a cushion, we can sit in one of several postures. You can cross your legs lightly in front of each other. Uh, Sometimes this is called tailor style. Uh, and uh, tailor fashion or Indian fashion. And then if you are a yoga practitioner, uh, you can sit in the half lotus posture with one leg up, one leg down, or the opposite. If you're really good at yoga, you can practice what they call the lotus posture in yoga um, with the uh, right foot on the, uh, I'm sorry, the left foot on the right thigh and the right foot on the left thigh. But as you remember from our talk last week, Kampo Kartareviche said this posture is very difficult for people to do at the beginning. So he actually recommends that you not try it while you're meditating and instead try it while you're doing other activities so you can be distracted a little bit from the pain of learning how to sit like this. You can also sit in one of the other poses. This is called the sattva, S-A-T-T-V-A, sattva, or easy pose with one leg in front of the other. Now, last week, someone asked me, uh, because they noticed in one of Kemper books, he mentioned that women, if they're sitting in this sattva pose, they should sit with the right leg toward them and the left leg in front of them as a way of balancing the energetic parts of their bodies, and that men should sit with the left leg in and the right leg in front. And um, here's what I can say about that. I I talked to Kemp Ribeshee about this in the past. And he said, that is traditional and it is helpful, but you don't have to do it, which was kind of good news for me because I had so many problems with my hips when I first started learning to meditate that I had to sit with the left foot in. And I had to sit with the left foot in for many years. And then I started having trouble with my other hips. So now my right foot is in. So um, I think what he was saying to me and and basically was to say, uh, look, comfort at the beginning is important so work on sitting comfortably and yet with your back straight so uh, no matter how you choose to put your legs if if you your your seat begins it begins with your cushion then your legs and then once you've put yourself down on the cushion you adjust your seat by rocking gently from side to side and tucking in the muscles of the backside. That grounds you on your seat. Then you place your back in its nice and straight position, meaning that, um, um, that the, ba- the back has its nice natural curves in it. It doesn't mean that you try to sit like an arrow like that. You're just sitting comfortably. And remember the tip I gave you from my martial arts friend last week, who said that, uh, he said that if you, bow your back unnaturally, and then arch your back unnaturally, and then take a few degrees off of that arch until you feel comfortable. That's a good way to establish a good sitting posture. Next, we've handled the legs, and we've handled the seat, and now the back. Now, the shoulders, hands, and arms. Whether you are sitting in a a chair, or sitting in a Sitting on a cushion on the floor, you need to figure out what you're going to do with your hands. In the sutras given by the Buddha, the the, uh, posture called equipoise with uh, the hand, uh, the left hand on the bottom, the right hand on the top with the thumbs touching and this placed in the lap. That's uh, a traditional posture that's given in the sutras. Um, however, what Kemper Bache said he noticed is that when people were beginning meditators were trying to use this posture, because they could not sit in the full lotus posture, they had no place to put their hands. They, they couldn't rest their hands on their upturned feet. And he said what he noticed was that they became very round shouldered as they sank forward trying to put their cupped hands in their lap. Therefore, when he taught meditation, he taught instead placing the hands in the posture that was, uh, that was used by the ancient Tibetan master Marpa, the translator, who is depicted even in iconography as sitting with his two hands palm downward on the tops of his legs. And so that was what Rinpoche taught us, two hands palm downward on the tops of the legs. And you can use this posture whether you're sitting in a chair or whether you're sitting on the floor. Now, if you'd like to try something um, that something different with that, Kemp Rinpoche also taught something that was called the lion's paws, where you took the thumb and you touched it to the base or the first joint of the ring finger and then closed your hands on a light fist placing those palm downward on the legs. And sitting like this, it helps to promote good movement of energy through the body, and it also keeps your hands warm. So in uh, in this way, uh, you've learned the, uh, the first of the postures of meditation, which are the legs, the seat, the shoulders, hands, and arms. Now, you allow your arms to uh, rest uh, comfortably. You're not locking your shoulders or your elbows at this point. This is a more relaxed posture that we're taking, just allowing the uh, the arms and hands to be natural and your shoulders to be straight. Now, the chin and the head. You can tuck the chin in slightly, creates a little double chin, and this straightens the neck vertebrae. And then you can then adjust your gaze by... Casting your eyes downward a few feet ahead, you're gazing, you're not looking at a point, you're merely gazing, allowing your your gaze to be soft and diffuse. And then lastly, you can touch the tip of your tongue to the uh, roof of your mouth, the upper palate behind the front teeth. And this allows your jaw to relax. It also helps promote good movement of energy in the body and reduces agitation. So there we have it. Uh, We have the legs, the seat, the seat, the back, the shoulders, hands, and arms, the chin, the gaze, and the tip of the tongue. And by placing your body in this posture, Kemper Rinpoche says sometimes you will feel a little of something he calls harmonious surprise, meaning that you are surprised at how balanced your body might feel. Then practicing the three excellences of meditation. Let's do just a really short two or three minute meditation together right now. To begin the meditation, remember the three excellences, excellent at the beginning, excellent in the middle, and excellent at the end. Excellent at the beginning, we start our meditation with a pure intention to be of benefit and to to ourselves and others. Second, excellent in the middle is that we do our best to stay with the technique. Third, excellent at the end, means we dedicate the goodness and merit of our practice to all sentient beings. So, Excellent at the beginning, we make a quiet prayer. May this meditation that I'm about to do be of benefit to myself and all sentient beings. If you're a Buddhist, you can also recite a refuge prayer, such as the one we just did. In the Buddha, his teaching in the order most excellent, I take refuge until enlightenment is reached. Through the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I attain Buddhahood for the sake of all that lives. And then sitting and arranging yourself in the posture of meditation, the legs, your seat, tucking in the backside, the back, the shoulders, hands and arms, the chin, the gaze and the tip of the tongue. You can begin by taking one deep breath then breathing out and then allowing the breath to come and go naturally following the course of your breath as it comes in and goes out. You also can count in breath, out breath, mentally count one. In breath, out breath, mentally count two and so on. You can count to an easy number like seven or more challenging number like 21. So we'll sit for just a few minutes using this technique. That's a short session of meditation. Last week, we also talked about what to do when we experience distraction in meditation. I described the technique that um, was uh, nicknamed Touch and Go by uh, the the Tibetan teacher uh, Chögyam Trungpa Rinpoche, and it's a pretty simple practice to follow uh, when you're... uh, What you'll notice when you uh, begin watching your breath is that you'll have a short period of attention, and that period of attention will then be followed by a period of wandering. Remember, we were talking last week that just as your heart never stops beating while you're still alive and your breath never stops coming in and out, your mind never stops manifesting and experiencing. And so what we have to do is learn how to work with the mind that we have. And so when uh, we experience some mental wandering, our job as meditators is to notice that wandering. And we uh, we can take hold of that thought. We can even label it thinking. We can let go of it and then consciously return our attention to the breath for a fresh start. And in that way, we can start fresh again, watching the breath come in, watching the breath go out and so on. And then let's say another thought arises and it distracts us. And then we go off in a different direction with our attention. Once we notice we've been distracted, we can take hold of that thought, label it thinking, let go of it, and consciously return our attention to the breath for a fresh start. This is why we call it the practice of meditation and not the instant perfection of meditation. It's something that we practice with and gradually get better at. So that's what we talked about last week. We talked about the the posture of the body. We talked about the three excellences, beginning with a sense of motivation, and then practicing uh, excellence in the middle by noticing distraction, let, letting go of distraction, and returning our attention to the breath for fresh start. And so, um, and so, what you'll get uh, is this um, is this set idea of. Of meditation something that you can rely on uh, one of my friends actually called meditation a vacation for the mind and it, your mind is actually taking a little vacation you, you no longer have to answer the phone you no longer have to solve all the world's problems you no longer have to do all of these things you just have to be with your breath coming and going now some people might say that's a little boring and the answer is yeah it is. And what, what it also is, is it's very, uh, it's, uh, you could say it's very uh, enlightening and insightful because it gives you an idea of what's on your mind. Remember last week, I was saying that sometimes people, when they start meditating, they say to me, I didn't know I was thinking so much. But the fact of the matter is we do think a lot. and so um, And so we notice it when we're practicing meditation. And um, so what is it that we gain from doing meditation? Well, meditation gives us two skills. We, we learn two skills. We learn uh, alertness and we learn mindfulness. Now I'm going to try to call them by the Tibetan names. I hope I get this right. Sheshin is alertness and Drenpa is mindfulness. Those of you who are familiar with the uh, with the drawing, of the uh, of the elephant and the meditator have you seen this drawing it's rather lovely uh, i'm going to try and i'm going to attempt to show it to the folks here on whoops youtube first i don't think so i think we're going to get too much of a reflection let's try the, the mat one there he is the meditator is chasing the mind in the form of an elephant and so the mind is in the form of an elephant and the meditator is chasing him And the, uh, and the meditator is holding two things in their hand, uh, an elephant hook and a rope or lasso. So the hook and the lasso are our two skills. Drenpa or mindfulness is the lasso and Sheshin or alertness is the hook. So Think about this and when you're meditating, you can see in these how these two skills come into play. When you're sitting and meditating, and then you're applying what are you applying? You're applying your attention and your intention. You intend to follow the breath. That's your intention. And you will keep following that intention until a distraction comes and takes you away. So mindfulness, according to Kemper Carthrupce's uh, definition, is this continuously instilling the motivation to follow that technique. In other words, it's, um, it's, um, do you remember when we were young, there were these neon signs that uh, were pointing towards something and they were just a series of little triangles pointing in one direction and that one would light up and then the next would light up and the next would light up and the next would light up to imply motion. It seems like that thinks this is exactly what mindfulness is. It's moment of attention followed by another moment of attention followed by another moment of attention followed by another moment of attention that is motivated by our wish to our overarching wish to meditate. So our overarching wish and intention to meditate is what's holding this whole thing together. Mindfulness is that intention to keep practicing, intention to keep following the breath throughout everything, it's like a continuous thread of intention that follows us through the whole practice. And I think that that's why it's really nice that, uh, uh, that a lasso describes it, because it's as though we're trying to lasso our, uh, our mind uh, with this mindfulness. But that's not all we have, because we will wander off. And when we wander off, we're going to need that hook, that attention. And we're going to notice, we have to notice that we've wandered and then gently bring ourselves back. So these are our two skills, mindfulness, meaning that we are mindful that we are meditating and pursuing the technique and alertness, which is the, um, which is the faculty of mind that helps us to notice when we're not doing mindfulness. So you might say, great, we have a lasso and we have an elephant hook. So what? What is that going to do for us? Well, that's an extremely good question because Kempo Karthar Rinpoche once said that when we develop um, mindfulness and alertness, he says, it's almost like uh, a person sharpening a knife. He said, when you practice mindfulness and alertness, it's like you're sharpening a knife and sharpening a knife and sharpening a knife. He says, if you never cut with that knife, it doesn't really do you any good to have a sharp knife. So mindfulness, mindfulness and alertness are very useful, but they're more useful almost when you are not meditating than they are when you are meditating. I'll tell you what I mean. Let's say you get up from meditation and then you encounter a family member in your home. And the family member is very cross with you because you didn't do something you were supposed to do. And they're very angry with you and they're coming at you with all this. And you've just been developing nice mindfulness and you've just been developing nice alertness. And, but it just hits you all at once. And immediately you go Bleh, and say something terrible to the person, <laughs> the person you live with. And then you cause a, a bigger fight. This means that you've sort of lost your mindfulness and sort of lost your alertness and you gave in to your habits of reaction. And so what can happen over time is that as you practice mindfulness and alertness, when you get up from your meditation seat, a little of that mindfulness and alertness may come with you into your everyday life and actually begin to affect your everyday experience of people in the world. And um, for example, um, you might be able to when that comes all that negativity comes at you, because you're a meditator, you might for a moment, not react with panic, just as you don't react with panic when a thought hits you when you're meditating. Because remember, we were talking about that touch and let go method. So When a distraction hits us, some people totally freak out and they say, Oh my gosh, I'm not supposed to be thinking, I'm a bad meditator, and they would instantly get mad at themselves. But you remember, we're trying to teach ourselves to be gentle with our with our attention and our thoughts. So we gently take hold of that thought, that distraction, label it thinking, and return to the breath for a fresh start. That's helping us to become less reactive, less quick to judge, less quick to anger. And by slowing down our responses, it allows us to do something different. It gives us the space to set aside our habitual response and do something different. Uh, What you could do differently is breathe. For example, somebody's coming at you with negativity and rather than just jump on the uh, defensive or offensive, instead of doing that, you could just Breathe. You could recognize that the other person is not in control. You could recognize that that other person's mind is out of their control. And that's the only reason they're acting the way they're acting is because they're out of control. And you can have maybe a tiny bit, just a teeny tiny bit of compassion for that. And a teeny tiny bit of empathy for that. Because in other situations, That person coming at you with negativity could have been you. In the right circumstance, with the right provocation, that angry person coming at you could have been you. And this is what my friends in 12-step recovery like to say. They like to say this, that there but for the grace of God go I, meaning when you see somebody suffering terribly, recognize that you could be that person in a heartbeat. You could have been that person. And so working on having a little compassion for people is really important. And it's a good way to also quiet down your reactivity. So all of these skills, the skill of mindfulness and the skill of alertness, it's not going nowhere. It's not, it's not doing nothing. It's actually learning how not to explode, learning how not to react, learning how to be with what is. And so um, this, these two skills of uh, mindfulness and alertness will ebb and flow. Some days you'll have good meditations and some days they won't be so good. I remember being in a lecture um, where um, uh, Dzogchen Ponlop Rinpoche was teaching. And someone said, my meditation is really good on one day and really bad on the next day. What am I doing wrong? And Ponlop Rinpoche said, well, for one thing, he said, you have to have proper expectations. He says, if you look at your body, speech, and mind, he said, on any given day, your body, speech, and mind is in a different place. You experience your body and mind differently on different days. He said, you could be slightly ill on one day. You could be having a mood swing. Anything could be happening. And of course, those of us who are Buddhists know that our karma is coming to fruition gradually, moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, instant by instant. And so because of the fluctuations of our karma, we're going to have good days and bad days. So what we have to do, he said, is have the confidence in the method, the confidence in the technique, and the confidence that we are sort of playing the long game here, and that we're in this, to. You know, as I said to a friend the other day, we're in it to win it, <laughs> meaning that we have that confidence that we are going to continue to practice and we're not going to give up. Not giving up on the practice is the best way to continue your practice. So what Pana Rinpoche said, he said, right now, as meditators, we have the, we have the belief that our meditation should be a continual upward uh, angle, when actually, it sh- it's not necessarily this upward progression. It's more, he said, like the stock market, it's up one day and down the next, up one day and down the next. But the general trend is up. So this is uh, what we're looking for, the general trend being up. That way, we shouldn't get mad at ourselves if we have a a crummy day of meditation. We should be able to deal with the fact that some days are going to be better than others. Now, two of the things that can happen to us when we're sitting on our meditation seat is that we can get agitated and we can fall asleep. So there are methods uh, and corrections for working with these two things that are very common uh, obstacles in meditation. So because if, if persevering and continuing, even though meditation is good on some days and bad the next, if perseverance is what we need, then we need to be able to deal with the problems of dullness and agitation that happen to us while we're meditating. So I'm going to talk about that next. Before I go on to talk about that, I, I need to share one of my favorite quotations. Um, my friend, uh, Jim, who has been a practitioner for many years, he meditated with the forest monks in, uh, in West Virginia. And, uh, and one of the forest monks said to him one day, oh, you are so busy uh, judging your meditation. You just sit there in judgment. Oh, my meditation is bad or my meditation is great. And he said, he said, really, he said, a good meditation is one you actually did. In other words, just showing up and meditating is a good meditation. A bad meditation is one you avoided doing. So anyway, that's a little piece of wisdom from the forest tradition. Now, let's talk a little bit about the obstacles that can happen. So um, the obstacles that can arise in meditation, there are two main ones. One is dullness, and the other is agitation. This is uh, spoken of in Kemal Krakar book, uh, Dharma Paths. Uh, in, uh, in his book, Dharma Paths, it is on, let's see, pages 94 through 97. He talks about these in Dharma Paths on pages 94 to 97. So uh, what happens when uh, we get agitated is that, um, um, oh, I'm sorry, we'll start with dullness instead. That's a little easier because more people feel that. What happens is sometimes you're meditating and as you're following the breath, you'll begin to get a little sleepy and maybe not off. And uh, Kemper Bache offers some advice for this. He said, if you're feeling sleepy, one of the things you should do is if your room is too warm, you should maybe open a window or give yourself a breeze. Uh, Or if you're wearing like a sweater, you should um, take the sweater off to make your body a little cooler because then you'll be less likely to fall asleep. And then he said you should also sit up a little straighter as this will help your attention, your alertness, It will help your alertness. And then He said, if you want to use a visualization to help you dispel your dullness or sleepiness, he said, you can use this one. And he said, you can actually, uh, this is what he said in Dharma Path." He said, you can uh, sit straight. Instead of holding your head and eyes in the standard meditation position, you actually raise your head and uh, look up. And he said, uh, when you're looking up, he said, you can imagine that as you breathe out, that, you're, uh, that there's a shaft of light going up away from you in space, and that your breath goes out of you and then goes up into that uh, that place of light. And then it comes back down, and it comes into you as a ray of light, and that the ray of light illuminates you from the inside, like, uh, like a, a lamp placed in a bottle. So... Out breath into the the light, and then the light comes down and fills you with uh, light, and this dispels the sleepiness. Now he said, you don't do this for the entirety of the session. You only do it for as long as you need to, in order to dispel the sleepiness. And then once the sleepiness has been dispelled, you go back to the standard posture with your uh, chin tucked in slightly and your eyes cast downward and that you can do this, uh, then you can return to your shamatha practice. Now, the other obstacle, common obstacle that arises is uh, um, agitation. Your mind is very wild. And in fact, those of you who are familiar with the, uh, with the diagram I just showed, you can see uh, that the, the, the little monkey is leading the elephant. There's a monkey leading the elephant. And so this is uh, commonly referred to as monkey mind. And so, um, and so our agitation is a, a restlessness and not being able to settle ourselves down. And so uh, and so, how we deal with that, there's also a way to deal with that. Kemper Rinpoche said, if you're too cold, put something warm on. And if you're too straight, he said, let your posture relax a bit. And then if you want to use a visualization, you can imagine that in front of you uh, in the earth is a, is a shaft of darkness going into the earth. And you can imagine that as you breathe out, your breath goes down into the shaft of darkness and then comes back to you as, I guess you could call it a ray of darkness. I know that doesn't make sense in English because rays usually are light. But the idea is that it's, uh Bache actually calls it a string, like a black string. And it comes in and then it fills your body with darkness as though it were a small dark filament inside a glass bottle. And by doing this uh, emphasis on darkness and downwardness and then uh, darkness and coolness in your body, this can help to calm down the um, the agitation. So um, so that's a little bit about how to do to deal with these two. Main obstacles that can happen to us when we're meditating. Um, Kemper Jay said that um, there are two uh, general types of meditators. He said um, among beginning meditators, he said there are two basic types. He said the first type is a person who, when they uh, first sit down, their mind is very agitated, and uh, and then he said as they sit for longer periods of time. Their mind begins to calm down and they're able to follow the technique better. And he said these people should sit for longer periods of time in order to reach that uh, capability of following the breath. Then the second type of meditator is a person who when they first sit down, everything is great. They can follow the technique, no problem. Everything is good. But the longer they sit, the harder it is for them to manage the technique and the more their technique breaks apart. Kemper Bache said that these people should sit for shorter periods of time, more often in the day. And so those are a little bit, a couple of helpful hints for people who are trying to work with obstacles in meditation. Now, there are a lot of other obstacles and faults and problems, and you can uh, you can read about these. Uh, In several books, as being the uh, five obstacles and the eight remedies, or is it the five obstacles and six remedies? Now I got to look it up. Um, The five, uh, the five faults and eight remedies. So there are. uh, I have a publication that I'm working from called Shamatha Meditation, and it has uh, lists of everything: the five faults and the eight remedies, and so on. And we can talk about those in further classes. But this is a simple class about making friends with your mind. And um, and it looks to me like I'm getting a little short on time, uh, but I want to say a couple more things. Remember we were talking about the analogy that Kemper Bache said about that doing shamata is like sharpening a knife and that eventually you're going to cut with that knife. And what are you going to cut? You're going to uh, be actually cutting through your habitual tendencies. You're going to hang back instead of re- being reactive. And the reason this works is because if you notice what happens when you're meditating, you'll see how this mindfulness and alertness can be like that sharp knife that helps you to cut through your habitual patterns. Let's say you're meditating. And uh, while you're meditating, remember the example I gave last week, we hear a car door slam and we think, oh, car door, and then we can go back to our technique of watching the breath. Well, that's not really a distraction. It's just something we've noted. But you could actually hear that car door slam and start a story in your mind. And the story is, is that my neighbor? Is he parking in my parking space again? I told him not to do that. I'm so mad. I'm going to go give him a piece of my mind. And you can see how damaging that is. That one tiny little thought, tiny, teeny little thought car door. That tiny, teeny little thought then blew up suddenly into this gigantic story about a feud you're having with your neighbor. Now, what if we're able to stop that? Maybe at the time we hear the car door slam and we think car door and we go back to the technique, great, we avoided that reaction. But what if we have the reaction? And halfway through the reaction, we realize we're having it. That story is going and we're already planning how we're going to yell at our neighbor. What we might actually do is if we have the presence of mind, we have our mindfulness and alertness, we might say, wait a minute, I don't want to be doing this story while I'm meditating. I want to let this go right now. And so Kim said, you can label it thinking you can let it go and return to the technique for a fresh start. So here's the deal. We dropped that thought. Where did it go? Where did the thought go? Did it just like disappear into central casting or wherever thoughts come from? It, it actually, we cut the continuity of that thought and it merely disappeared. It dissolved. It fell apart. It didn't have anything to maintain itself. Now, this might seem weird but i think of it as being really empowering because the moment we let go of that thought and it disappeared that whole world that that thought was creating for us that anger at our neighbor it 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 disappeared just like that and so it gives us some confidence that when we are not meditating we can begin to work with our minds because a lot of people say oh, I'm just an angry person, I am that way. Or I'm just impatient, I am that way. Um, You know, whatever they say about themselves. I just am that way and I'm never going to change. But the fact of the matter is, we change every minute of every day. It's just that our habits kind of hold us in and they keep certain negative behaviors going. And then we identify with the negative behavior, thinking that the negative behavior is good. I remember when Tron Grubashe gave a teaching at our home monastery at Karmatriana Dharma Chakra in Woodstock, New York, a few years ago. He said, we make a mistake about anger. We think that anger makes us strong and that anger makes us right and that anger gives us the high position. When he says it just makes us stupid, It anger just carries us away and we become ignorant. And then we just kind of he didn't he didn't say we act from the lizard brain. You remember that primal stuff that the brain scientists talk about? Well, in any case, it's the idea is that when we're reacting, we're not really thinking. And so anger is not necessarily our friend. We might feel it naturally, but is it necessary to keep it going? And that's the question. So in that moment, we could, even when we're not meditating, in that moment, we could actually make the decision to stop the anger not because it's bad, but because, you know, it's just a waste of our time and it's a waste of our energy. I never will forget, a a woman told me once that she was in the middle of an argument with her husband and suddenly out of nowhere, she said, you know, she said, I don't think we need to be doing this. Yes, we have a disagreement and yes, we'll work it out, but this yelling thing, I don't think I'm gonna do that now. And the husband was kind of like, what? And, and she was kind of shocked by how it all went after that. She said things calmed down and they were able to talk about things because she decided to turn down, to turn down the volume on her anger because she realized it wasn't doing her any good. So to me, this is one of the great benefits of meditation. When we're meditating and we can let go of a single thought, whatever that thought is, whether it's a good thought or a bad thought, we let them all go. We don't just say, Oh, I'm going to keep the good ones and get rid of the bad ones. We don't even keep the good ones. We let go of all thoughts. We are equal opportunity in dropping thoughts. The minute we have dropped that thought, we have realized something. And that is that our thoughts are discontinuous. They're not a river of concrete. Our personalities are not set in stone forever and ever. We actually can begin to make a change. And so, um, and so that is, uh, to me, the powerful moment in meditation is when you realize you can actually uh, change how you think. So um, this ability to be able to let go of a thought shows that all of the things that we, all of our habits, all the things we think of as being habits are actually just thoughts. that follow one after another, after another, after another, after another, like that neon sign that appeared to be a moving arrow when it was just a moment, a moment, a moment, a moment, a moment. And so if we can let go of any one of those moments, the whole thing could begin to relax and fall apart, and then we could begin to act from a different place within us. And, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about this more about this next week, because uh, we're going to talk about um, a little bit next week about experiences that happen in meditation, and then what's next for us uh, in meditation, because um shamatha is the basis of all Buddhist practice mindfulness and developing mindfulness and alertness is the basis of all practice but we're gonna talk about how it can become the foundation for training the mind in love and compassion and how it can um, help us to deal with mental afflictions. So uh, this week was just a review of the technique and it was a, a talking about the obstacles that can arise in meditation, as well as the two skills we learn in meditation, the mindfulness and the alertness, and we also learned how to deal with dullness and agitation. And a little bit about why meditation helps us change our habits. Because our habits are made of one thought happening after another, happening after another. And if we let go of the thoughts that create those habits, we can actually change the habits themselves, which is a powerful, great thing for us who want to make change in our lives. So um, let's sit for just another minute or so, and then uh, we'll dedicate the merit. I do apologize. I see some questions have come across on uh, Facebook. I do apologize. I will try to answer them uh, on the Facebook feed, but then I'll make notes of them and I answer them for the YouTube audience next week. So uh, thank you, folks. I have not got a good way to handle uh, receiving questions because my eyesight is kind of bad and looking up at the Facebook feed, I just can't quite get it. But uh, but I appreciate your questions, and I'll try to answer as many of them as I can. Um, So let's sit quietly for just another moment. Using the three excellences, excellent at the beginning, we make the motivation, may I sit for the benefit of all sentient beings, and may we all become enlightened. And then sit with uh, the back straight on the seat, the legs, the seat, the back, the shoulders, hands, and arms. The chin, the gaze, tip of the tongue, starting with a deep breath, letting the breath go, and then following the breath with our attention. Okay, thank you very much for uh, for joining us today, both the audience on YouTube and the audience on Facebook. Uh, we uh, will practice excellent at the end now and make the aspiration that our session today will be of benefit to all sentient beings in general, but most especially those who are feeling sickness and who are distressed and who are experiencing uh, difficulty with uh, their finances and with their health. So we dedicate the merit especially to those beings. I'll recite the short prayer in English. Through this merit, may all achieve the omniscience of Buddhahood. May it defeat our common enemy, wrongdoing. From the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death, from the ocean of samsara, may we free all beings. Okay, thanks. thanks very much for joining, and I'll, um, I'll watch for you next week uh, at uh, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. And uh, we'll talk about meditation experiences and what's next for uh, practicing uh, with uh, becoming friends with our meditation.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.